Hey, everybody. Happy Sunday. Enjoy this episode. Become a member. Members.charliekirk.com. That is members.charliekirk.com. Email us as always, freedom at charliekirk.com. And become a member to support this program. Buckle up, everybody. Here we go. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Noble Gold Investments is the official gold sponsor of The Charlie Kirk Show a company that specializes in gold IRAs and physical delivery of precious metals. Learn how you could protect your wealth with Noble Gold Investments at noblegoldinvestments.com. That is noblegoldinvestments.com. It's where I buy all of my gold. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com. Because, you know, honestly, what happened to us is we didn't know what to do as a church. We, I had not dealt in the political realm. Uh, guys would call me from the outside that wanted, you know, during, during um, uh, seasons where there were uh, elections going on, and they'd be like, hey, can I come to your church? I said, sure you can. You can sit on the front row. I'll say hi to you, but that's it. I didn't realize the importance of putting the right people in the right places. And so when you started to help us as pastors um, and, and introduced me to other pastors like Rob McCoy. And, when they took and, our rights away, that's when the gloves went on. It's, we went after it. We said, oh, we had no idea that you were going to come into our church. And, to, you know, it's kind of like you got the church over here. We're doing good. Everybody's doing great. Things are hopping. And then here's all the political stuff over there. And we just pray for the political. 2020, when they tried shutting churches down. I don't know if you know, but 200 churches sued our governor and won. And we, we got to open back up. So give us a quick rundown of what's been happening in your world, in the Charlie Kirk world. What's happening? Boy, uh, great honor to be here, everybody. Uh, this is awesome, and you have, you, you're doing a great job, um, and you are all being led well here uh, at Freedom House. And if this is not your church, this should be your church, I'll tell you. They, they do a great job. Um, and so, yeah, what's going on in our world? Um, boy, I live in Arizona, so we're being invaded every single day, um, and I, it would be hilarious if it wasn't true. Um, about to start our campus tour, uh, we have a big pastor summit coming up with our friends at uh, Dream City Church uh, and the Barnetts, and yeah, just fighting for liberty every single day. And um, you know, we have a big uh, we have a big thing coming up in November too uh, that I think we all need to stay focused on. Let's let's talk about that for a minute. Tell us tell us about where, as you know, I would say the majority of people in this room are believers, Christians, conservative. Obviously, um, there may be a few stragglers in here that are looking for you know an angry moment i'm glad you're here yeah i know i know i'm glad we can change uh, their mind hope you meet jesus (laughs) (laughs) how important is this this year yeah i mean it it's super important i i mean it's it's arguably civilizational defining what's coming up in november and it shouldn't have to be that's what's so sad is that elections should not have such heaviness and weight where we have to be thinking about it all the time honestly i mean by the way you have such a great lieutenant governor by the way isn't he doing such a great job He's doing a great job. And I'll tell you a quick story about your lieutenant governor. I first saw him on a viral video <laughs> against gun control. You all know the story. 
I like this guy. He's got, he's got spirit and he's got gusto and uh, I think he's going to be a great governor of this state. I really do. He's, gonna, he's just going to be terrific. And, and I think even Mark would agree with me that it's not healthy to be thinking about politics all the time. I say this as someone who benefits from it because I do a three-hour show and our views are up and our ratings are up. In some ways, I have to kind of encourage the audience, like, guys, there's other things in life besides politics. But the reason why that politics has become so important is that we have one political party or one political movement that wants something so against the American tradition. And I could just go through, or just, you call common sense, just honestly, what is right and wrong? I mean, they're arguing that we shouldn't have a border. They argue that kids can decide for themselves and as far as what gender they are, and they can go under irreversible damaging surgery. They are arguing for post-birth abortion. They, I mean, I can go through the list, and the, the level of intensity only increases. And there's only so much of this the country can take, and especially with all the nonsense that happened back in the 2020 election, a lot of people feel as if that we had it pretty good and things were going really well, and then all of a sudden, you know, the guy who got the most votes ever, who, um, by the way, if you haven't seen it today, uh, it's pretty remarkable. The special counsel came out and he's like, yeah, we're not going to charge Joe Biden because he really has no idea where he is. And no, I'm not, it's not an exaggeration, by the way, you could look at it yourself. Like in the documents, they're like, he kept on, confu- he kept on talking about this general who's been dead for like 20 years. He's like, yeah, I got those documents from general XYZ. And the special counsel was like, you do realize that guy's been, been dead for a while. No, no, no. It's like it's completely out, out of control. Um, and so there's an anger in this country, and I think it's a righteous anger. We have to be careful because anger is not how God wants us to live. We should live in joy. And so we have to balance that. We have to be honest with it. But we feel as if something is being taken from us. And almost every problem our country is facing right now is self-inflicted, which is why I think there's so much, um, there's so much energy behind this election. We could fix the border immediately. We could decide to put our citizens first when it comes to appropriating resources and not funding foreign proxy wars while our own country falls apart. We can decide to allow parents to be the ones in charge of their children's, you know, sexual education. And, and I'm just touching the surface. We could decide not to borrow $2 trillion a year. We could decide. And excuse the graphic imagery here, but it feels like a civilizational suicide. It feels like the greatest country that ever exists in the history of the world is deciding to destroy itself. And the, the, the positive of that is that you can stop doing it. It's not like we're being attacked from afar. We could just decide, actually, I don't want to mutilate myself. I want America to be a nice place for my kids. It's not a political statement. Like, I want my kids to live in a nice country, right? I want my kids to have a recognizable nation where we're not talking about stuff that doesn't matter all the time. That's yeah. number one. Then the other part is that we need to go a level deeper, which is what is the perverse psychology that makes something great or somebody great decide to kill oneself? It's demonic is what it is. And the enemy comes to lie, steal, cheat, and destroy. Christ has come to give life and life more abundantly. It's John 10.10. The whole ball game is John 10.10. What the enemy stands for, what Jesus stands for. They are a cult of death. They stand for death when it comes to abortion. They stand for death when it comes to the trans issue. They stand for the death of a nation. And what our movement needs to stand for, I don't even even like calling it politics because people cringe at it. I mean, it's honestly just a revival of the social contract that our founders put forward of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I 
I don't say this in any sort of cliche political way, but when I see, you know, young kids, I'm like, my, and I have a daughter of my own, what country am I leaving her? It's not the country I grew up in, and I'm 30 years old. I mean, 10 years ago, we were a happier, more joyful country. Every possible objective metric is we are the most alcohol-addicted, drug-addicted, suicidal genera- you know, generation and country in history. And I think there's this yearning, and it's happening in multiple ways, where finally there'll be a consensus where we decide to stop damaging ourselves. Yeah. And that's really what's on the ballot in November. It's, it's bigger than Trump. It's bigger than Biden. And I, and I love Trump, and I could talk about that. I think he's great. He, and we can have a discussion if you guys disagree on it. That's fine. I, I'm not even offended because I've heard it all. But I, I, the one thing that I won't put up with, though, is if you think that things are going swimmingly. Yeah. And if you think, like, yeah, you know, I, I think it's great that this superpower that has been the greatest experiment in self-government in the history of the planet, that's been the envy of every country ever to exist in the history of the world, that we're just going to allow ourselves to slit the throat of Lady Liberty and call it progress. Like, yeah, I'm not going to put up with that, actually. That's what's on the ballot coming in a moment. So would you say, Charlie, would you say that this year is a tipping point, or would you say that there was a tipping point and we're down the slide and we need to, this is the change that needs to happen? Because I I think of it two ways. I think of, okay, if, if we do elect Trump and, and things get moving in the right direction. If we don't elect him, what's going to happen to our country? Yeah, you mean, know? Look, I, if we don't elect him, I go to work the next day and I'm going to keep fighting. And I hope you'll join me. Yeah. And, and I, 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 that, that's number one. So I, I can't stand fatalism. It drives me nuts. Maybe we, I will say this, we have a lot of, we have so many blessings in this country. We have awesome people. We have gritty people. We have natural resources. We you know, are, are, we're basically bordered by two countries that don't necessarily hate us, even though we're being invaded by one. But the point is that we, we're, we're such a unique superpower that most superpowers have enemies that are just a couple hundred miles away or they don't have access to natural resources. So the ability to recover as a nation, God has given us so many second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth chances. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to play into fatalism. But yeah, it, it, it certainly makes the chance of... of a, a decent country less likely and at the same time I'll push back and I, I, I don't mean this as an insult but there are some people that you know are baby boomers and they'll tell me Charlie America will never collapse and never fail because we've been through worse before and I don't know where this insane line of thinking came from but anything can collapse and fall and that kind of pride by the way is asking for God to topple you as the greatest nation okay in fact maybe we should have some humility and be like wow we might never have a great country again. Only by the grace and glory of God can we have this country get back to a place of righteousness. And so it's hard for me to assess, Troy, because my, my attitude is always, what do I do? And I'm a fighter, and I'm in the arena, and I try to organize, I try to tell the truth. And my goal is to try to get all of you to act in the same way and to try to fight in your own arena and build a platform. But, yeah, it, you can only sustain... 8 million foreigners coming into your country every four years. It's just, it, you can't live through that for much longer, right? Um, the dollar's on the brink of collapse. Uh, we, have in, we have like a lost generation that came out of COVID. And then I think another pent-up piece of frustration, I came here while COVID was still raging, right? We had a super spreader together. Um, <laughs> it's granny killers. Granny killers. Oh, yeah, is that we right? Granny killers, yes. Honestly... Like, where are the tribunals for the people that made that locked down our country? Like, yeah, I, I, I don't say that lightly. I, you know what the true insurrection was? The insurrection was the lockdowns. 
Not a bunch of people. No, I mean, not a bunch of people with American flags taking selfies in the Capitol Rotunda, you know, live action role playing as like a militia man. Like, ooh, I'm really tough. You're not taking over anything, okay? You're not fooling anyone. And there were some really decent people there that didn't do anything wrong. They stepped in the Capitol and their lives are ruined. And we have to be like nauseatingly propagandized by the government. Oh, you know, that was an insurrection. Worse than 9-11. You know know what was worse than 9-11? The fact that there's hundreds of thousands of people that unnecessarily died alone in hospitals when treatments could have been given to them, like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and intravenous therapy. Like, that's worse than 9-11. And... And if you say different, we'll shut you down. And destroy your we'll life. We'll destroy your business. We'll destroy your life. And oh. again, I, I don't want to come across as, as too bitter because I could do this forever. But I do think I'm, I am reflecting and mirroring the attitude of the every American because you see injustice after injustice and no justice rendered. Like Fauci is not going to jail. He's not being held trial. Fauci is like an, a, a professor somewhere. And meanwhile, you see really decent people that might have got caught up in the wind of, like, a, a, for example, a guy by the name of Siaka Masakwa, who's become a friend, he's a believer, he's amazing, former Hollywood actor. He was there on January 6th. He took two steps into the Capitol, walked out. He's been hunted by the feds for two years. He's now been indicted on criminal trespassing. His, he's had to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars of legal fees. By the way, a lot of these defendants kill themselves. It's just, it's a terrible thing. And, like, that's the focus of our federal government, as if that's the threat to our country. Okay, we're being invaded on the southern border, and you have this amazing patriot who loves the nation, who takes a couple steps into the people's house and comes out, and now has to stand federal trial, and was arrested at Burbank Airport with his pregnant wife, like, hyperventilating next to him. Like, I'm sorry, whatever regime that is, is an evil regime that does that. And And the videotapes... Proving him yes. innocent have disappeared. Just, They've poof. been destroyed, and the whole the whole lies that are being fabricated. And that's one of the things that we really are trying to tell the church on. Understand when you are standing up for what's right, the news media is going to come after you. They are going to make up stories. They are going. I mean, we're all racist, misogynist, bigot, homophobes. <laughs> I've never been attacked by the media, right? Ever. Sterling record. Yeah, if you Google me, it's just, it's terrific. Um, No, but look, honestly, who cares what the media says? They're losing power. And you guys have the power now. You don't need them anymore. Their numbers are going down. We have podcasting. We have a liberated social media platform of X. We have Rumble. We have, I mean, Tucker Carlson's going to Russia. Like, the, the, the game has changed, everybody, okay? okay? you got to talk about that yeah, a little talk bit. Talk about that a little happy bit. To, I think people it's don't know. one of the coolest things ever. Um... Not because I love Putin. Actually, I don't like Putin. I mean, I caught the first half of the interview and, like, Putin, like, meanders for 30 minutes about, like, abstract Russian history as if, like, the American audience that Tucker is, you know, representing really cares about, literally, he's like, and then in uh, 949, uh, Nicholas the Tsar, and I kid you not, when you watch the interview tonight, it's like, really? And he goes on for, like, and Tucker, like, almost loses patience. He's like, I'm not sure why this is relevant. And, and, and Putin responds, like, oh, no, I'm getting there. And then in 1311, uh, we recut. And in some ways, it was actually really interesting because, it, again, he gets painted as this madman, megalomaniac, Putin or whatever. Again, I don't like him. He's, he doesn't believe in a free society. I want a free society. You want a free society. He believes in something completely different. But also, I didn't walk away thinking that we should go to war against this guy. Right? I didn't walk away thinking that that's the greatest threat to the homeland, right? right? right. 
I, I look at him basically as this guy who's overseeing a declining population of an antiquated governing model who's like really interested in reclaiming something that a document from 500 years ago says that he has. Okay, have at it. I mean, I don't like that you invaded Ukraine, but we're also being invaded. Like, let's stop sending $250 billion over there yeah. while our country's getting overrun, right? Yeah. And, and by the way, let me just say that. It is, it is a moral crime what the American government did because what we did is we gave false hope to the poor people of Ukraine. And we said, we're going to give you weapons and all this stuff. We're going to be there to the bitter end. We never meant that. We use them as human shields for our own Western pride. There is now more and more credible reports that Tony Blinken went via Boris Johnson and obliterated a peace deal that could have ended this war before it really started. Hundreds of thousands of people died. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, it's, I think it's great that Putin goes, I mean, that Tucker went and interviewed Putin. Um, and I, I, I think that we should also, I think we have a moral right in the West to see who our government is trying to start a nuclear war with. Yeah. Right? I think that – and you should be your own judge. Again, I didn't walk away fearing him. He just kind of seems like – how do I say this? Like the guy that like can't stop talking about like the old war stories from like the 1960s and 70s. And I don't mean that in a negative way. But like, he's like so attached to a memory of the yeah, Soviet yeah. Union. It's it, like and, – and like I'm supposed to like think that this guy's going to take over the world? Like, it's, it's like he goes 45 minutes talking about – you know, history in 990. You, know, you guys can see the interview for yourself. But I think it's good. I think it's positive. I think that the entire American government foreign policy posture towards Russia has been wrong. I think Donald Trump had it right. Donald yeah. Trump didn't want to be friends with him. He didn't want to be enemies. He just didn't want to be overly into a quagmire with the number one oil-producing country on the planet that has nuclear weapons that could be used as a hedge against China. Yeah. And because of that, Putin didn't invade Ukraine when Trump was president. And so, um, but... One of the reasons why the Western media is now talking about arresting Tucker Carlson when he comes back to America for even conducting the interview is – and this is kind of a lesson that, that I can take away. they couldn't get the interview. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. Um, is, I, think it's, <laughs> I, I think it's even deeper than that, though. I think that, I think that when you talk, you all of a sudden de-radicalize a population. I can say this from being on college campuses – that when I have long conversations with these bitter activists, they tend to not be as fired up afterwards. And, I mean, with some rare exceptions. And I think that the media would be super worried that all of a sudden that the lies they've been telling us about Russia might actually come to an end. And the American people might kind of shrug their shoulders, be like, okay, don't love the guy, but why is this the number one threat that I have to watch every single day? Yeah. And that, 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 is, yeah. that is an existential threat to their power. I think power. it's a good point. You know, I, I've watched those movies all the time where they say, don't go outside. You're not allowed to go outside. Yeah. And so they keep everybody inside, but there's really nothing going on outside. And so they just keep them locked in this place and, and scared to even think about it. And Tucker just opened the can and said, hey, listen, we don't have to be scared of this. This is okay. I haven't watched the interview yet, but I can't wait yeah. to watch it. Talk about the borders a little bit because I think a lot of people think that it's just one group of people that's coming over. And I was having this conversation with, um, with Pastor Steve because he's in New Mexico and, yeah. and Luke who's in Arizona. And because I don't think people really realize that the majority of people that are coming over are not families. They're not moms and kids. They're 18 to 24, 18 to 25-year-old, and they're not Mexican. Yeah, they... um, and that's important for us to understand. And our role as, as Christians, as the church... In our role as as real Americans in understanding this. Yeah, this is a super important point. Uh, I mean, we live in a border state. I, I do in Arizona. Basically, every state is a border state now. Every single state is being impacted. What's happening on the southern border? And these are fighting age males that are coming across the southern border. Uh, a small percentage that we see are families and all that. 
and even they, you know, are still trespassing and invading into our country. But when all of a sudden you have people that are speaking fluent Arabic and they look into the camera and they say, hey, uh, everyone's going to know who I am very soon, using language that the 9-11 hijackers and yeah. bombers used, yeah. And it just begs the question, are these people, are, are we being invaded where there's going to be sleeper cells in the interior of the United States? And I don't have to speculate too much. Just look what's happening in New York recently. Yeah. I mean, if you haven't seen the story, I encourage you to look at it, especially if you're, you know, um, a liberal watching this. I think it actually might change your mind. You have, you know, these groups of thugs that come in and they beat up these police officers and they're let out with no bail. And while they're let out, they're, 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 they're giving the middle finger to the camera as if I hate you and I I just it, it is so grotesque and they're pushing America to a breaking and a boiling point there's only so much of this that we can take but I, I, I want to make sure we emphasize I don't think the church talks about the border enough you know there's a lot of virtue signaling that goes on at times where people say you know America's a bad country because we once had slavery slavery is evil and awful by the way there's more slaves right now in North America than there ever were back during the slave trade you might say, well, what do you mean? Who do you think is coming across the border? These kids are purchased. They know exactly. And by the way, this is not, these are not random movements. Almost 90% of people coming across the border are tracked. They have a number. The cartel will track, put them, follow them on the interior of the United States. If it's a young lady, they're almost assuredly being raped and they're going to the sex trade, right? Into prostitution in the, in the interior of the United States, Atlanta, Houston, Dallas. And this is slavery. They are being purchased. Their flesh is being purchased for use and some just come and they become laborers and they send money back and they have remittances and there's very little concern from the American government at all. And if you don't believe me, go down to the southern border and see it for yourself. I will show you in Nahalas, I'll show you in Yuma, I'll show you in Eagle Pass. In Yuma in particular, they have the, the river right there, Rio Grande River, and you can see the big Humvees and the cartel guys have the binoculars and they'll just kind of look exactly where to go. And this is what's amazing. When they tell people to cross the border, they're not telling them to evade Border Patrol. They're telling them to go into the hands of Border Patrol. They want to get caught. Well, most of them. Then there's the gotaways. Then there's the four to 500,000 people that scurry across the backpacks. We have no idea who these people are, right? We don't know who's in their what's in their backpack. Weapons, guns, bombs, drugs. Yeah. By the way, we have 115,000 fentanyl overdoses, um, drug overdoses, and nearly 60,000 fentanyl overdoses a year. And I think what drives all of us nuts is that, to kind of connect the Ukraine and the Russian thing um, with this, is that even if you're totally on Team Ukraine, I, just, I find it morally repulsive that our leaders have appropriated now $275 billion. They just approved another $95 billion, by the way for a foreign conflict 5,000 miles away that does not have immediate bearing on our national security, and they can't even get their act together to close the southern border. And it, it is treason. It is an invasion. It impacts all of us. It's never happened before in the history of our country. And I just want to reiterate, it's intentional, meaning that, that this is the same way that we used to talk. We tell our kids, look at these pictures of these slave boats. We should teach the history of slavery. It's awful. Is that we have the new slave boats right now. And if you aren't like consciously aware of it, then I encourage you to get sped up. And especially if you're leading a church, you need to educate your congregation on how we are, we are turning a blind eye to the new North American slave trade, which is even bigger, more profitable, more institutionalized than what happened back in the 1600s. Because we've weaponized empathy. We, we have weaponized empathy saying that if we don't open the borders, we're misinterpreting and misusing scripture. 
if we don't open the borders, then what we're not being hospitable to strangers and talk talk about how that is being sure twisted. So th- that, that, that's that's such a good point, Penny. So uh, there are so we should love all people always, and the the idea though that your public policy must be unlimited amounts of people coming into your country is not only not biblically supported. The Bible tells you the exact opposite. So. The idea of borders is biblical, okay? The idea of nations is biblical, and it's in the first 11 books of Genesis. In Genesis 11, God rejected this idea of a one-world government in the city of Babel, and he created the idea of separate nations and decentralized power and sovereignty. The idea of sovereignty and not having one person, one group, one cartel, one organization control the planet, that only God controls the entire world, is biblical. You see that with the story of Nimrod in the city of Babel. But even going beyond that, the, sto- the entire book of Nehemiah is literally building the wall to protect the city, is to fortify your defenses from invasion. Now, there's also this amazing verse that gets glossed over in the book, in the, um, book of Deuteronomy, which is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's Moses' farewell address, and he was letting it rip, right? He knew he wasn't getting into the promised land, and he's like, I got a lot of problems with you people, and you're going to hear it. It was like, it was the first Festivus. Your is really fault, what, I'm what not it going was. in. If you know what Festivus, you know what I mean. Um, no, and basically, he was like, I'm going to just, I'm going to let it rip. You guys complain too much. You guys are never on time. You guys get lost. And he's like, at one point, he's like, I don't even know why God told me to lead you. I mean, it was, it was really, it was savage, right? But at one point, I think it's like Deuteronomy 26 or something. And I'm not, I'm not, I have actually the verse on my phone. I could look at it because I don't want to misspeak. But the essence is that be careful who you let into your country because foreigners will soon become masters of your country. And if you don't control the influx of who comes into your nation, you'll no longer have a nation. And I could read the exact scripture in a second. And that's almost never talked about, right? But then there's also some of these embedded lies. So the other one that I see all the time is that Jesus was a refugee. This one personally drives me nuts. First of all, he was the king of the world. Okay, so let's just get that out of the way. He is the king of the world. He's the savior of all things. So it's just this. Secondly, if you want to be hyper-technical, no, he wasn't, okay? He went from one part of the Holy Roman Empire to the other part of the Holy Roman Empire. Therefore, not a refugee, same country. So um, he, he went to Egypt, which is technically under the control of the Holy Roman Empire. And uh, same custom, same currency, same laws. A refugee is technically someone who leaves one country because they are fleeing persecution. Yes, he was fleeing persecution, but he found asylum within the same country, the same sort of um, code of conduct. So it just drives me nuts. It's like, it's not even, it's not even true, even if you were looking at it. So... Um, I hear this with you people. Jesus was a refugee, and he wouldn't want borders. Okay, uh, it's, just, it's just so it's so nonsensical. And I've again, never even heard that before. That's the oh, first no. time I've ever Who's heard, heard Jesus that Jesus was a refugee. I've Raise never, your hand. The younger I've people, yeah, you, all the time. And again, this is how they. W- that's because you don't hang around liberals. All right, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's why you're so happy, Troy. Um, <laughs> right, exactly right. So I, I want to read this scripture because it's so amazing. And Didn't I, our founding fathers used that Deuteronomy scripture. When they were setting the country up. Yeah, so that's all. Yeah, Deuteronomy 28. I'll read it in a sec. So it's a great point. So out of all the books, both secular and religious, that were quoted the most in the founding of the country, uh, Deuteronomy was by by far quoted the most. Because Deuteronomy talks about separation of powers, consent to the governed, independent judiciary. The form of our government is directly inspired from Deuteronomy. And it makes sense because Moses is basically telling, like, hey, Joshua, like, this is how you set up the government. You're about to get into the land of milk and honey. You're about to enter Canaan. This is how I recommend you set things up. 
And again, it wasn't Moses talking, it was God talking through Moses, but it was his farewell address. And so here's the verse, it's pretty remarkable. Foreigners who live in your land will gain more and more power while you gradually lose yours. They'll have money to lend you, but you'll have none to lend them. In the end, they will be your rulers, Deuteronomy 28, 43. And so that, that is, that's not always a quoted yeah, verse no, when it comes to this. Um, and so the argument then they'll make, Penny, is they'll say, but don't you love these people? Yes, I do love the nearly 300,000 young girls that are currently being sex slaves in America that we are, we, we are like told to care about. Well, you know how you care about them? You seal the border and you don't allow the cartel to traffic them into the interior of the United States. That's how you love those people. And borders are also a sign of humility. It's also a sign that we're not trying to take over the entire world. They're trying to create oneness of the planet, one currency, one language. They're trying to reconstitute the Tower of Babel. And the idea of a border is a direct threat to that. The World Economic Forum wants a one-world government. They want a globalist-type experiment. And so... And Christians are suckers for this. I got to be honest. I mean, not everyone here, but like a lot of churches, they're okay on the abortion thing. Maybe they're like totally silent on the LGBT thing, which we could talk about. But on the immigration thing, it's just they are. I I find it's one of the most scripturally and theologically flimsy issues where they're like, well, I really don't know how to deal with um, this. It's like the, the Bible is so clear and every time immigration is mentioned in the Bible, it counts with assimilation and does it benefit the homeland? Assimilation and does it benefit the homeland? And yes, empathy is weaponized, which by the way, empathy is not even a biblical word. It's a 1920s Absolutely. new age term, yeah. right? Compassion is, and pathos is what it, it's a Greek right. term that it comes right. from. That's super wonky and abstract, but it's important because we should have sympathy, which means to go alongside of compassion, which means to yearn for or to care for. And to be truly compassionate and caring and loving is to support the constitution of borders and to say that a nation state not a nation state has a moral right to exist. And the, fi- the final point I'll say on this, which I think is just incredibly important, is that it's about destabilization and you're seeing that everywhere. And remember, God is a God of order. Yes. And we, we forget about this. And again, the, God is a God of love and God is a God of order. Both those things are simultaneously true. And if you do not have order, well, then you have chaos. And Satan is an agent of chaos. And how do you get such chaos? You change the language. Did God really say that? Is that really what the authority is? Who's to say what God is? Who are you letting into your country? All these things are, they're almost ideological toxins that get introduced towards destabilization. God's hope for humanity is not chaos. It's not war. It's not strife. It's shalom. That's why it says in Jeremiah 29, 7, that we must demand the welfare or the shalom of the nation that we are in because your welfare is tied to your nation's welfare. I think that's what's so key, though, is they change the dialogue because whoever controls the language controls the argument. And so it's not an unviable tissue mass. It is a baby that you've aborted. It's not a uh, undocumented worker. No, this is an illegal. What they are doing is illegal. They came into this country illegally. And and we can change whatever we want to make it slick, to make us want to swallow it. That's why it's not the strict club. It's the gentleman's club. When you market it and you flip it and you twist it and you turn it any which way you can to make it palatable and digestible, then 
That's how they're doing this, is they're using words against us, and sometimes we're not smart enough. Like, like why would you want to hurt grandmas? Why would you not love your neighbor? You must get the vaccine. If you don't do this, you're not loving your neighbor. Do you know how many Christians were duped? Because they were like, oh, well, I'm a Christian. I don't want to be unkind. Do you know how many Christians stay out of the fight? And how many because pastors like, got behind the whole idea of getting vaccinated? Yeah, yeah, Black I, Lives Matter? They had no idea what was really going on. Yeah, and I, uh, on the vaccine thing, I, I had strong opinions the entire time. And I, I know some of you probably got vaccinated. I do want to say, those of you that did get vaccinated, uh, you were lied to and you deserve better and justice because there are so many people that have ongoing health issues because of this thing. And I don't like when people ridicule the vaccinated. I feel sympathy because you were you were tortured, you were gaslit. you were gaslit, you were lied to by medical professionals that should know better. Uh, this is an mRNA gene altering technology. It is not a traditional vaccine. And now we are seeing spikes in turbo cancers, peri- pericarditis, myocarditis. Yeah. And if you ask any Op, any physician worth their salt, and you say, "Have you? Are you seeing things you've never seen before in your career?" They will all say, "Yes, yes, 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 yes." Like weird symptoms that all of a sudden are popping up in otherwise very, very healthy people. And I, I think that there needs to be people that need. I think companies need to be bankrupted. I think people need to go to jail. There needs to be a truth and reconciliation committee for what happened regarding pushing on the vaccine. Hundred percent. You know what? You know, Penny was talking about the language stuff, and I listened to your podcast on whatever. I didn't watch it. I listened to it, um, and you did such an amazing job. You know, and I would, you know, you said it back. Hey, I wouldn't encourage you telling the pastor. I wouldn't encourage you to watch it, but I'd encourage you to listen to it. Oh, this because is the naughty one that just this happened. This was the naughty one that was on. Do y'all know? But, did y'all see the naughty one? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Raise it. Okay. It was it was a podcast called Whatever. And it's and he I think there were like nine girls on there or seven girls, and Charlie. Tell and, them what kind of girls? And were. most of them were OnlyFans girls. Ladies of the night. Porn, pornographic. I think two of them were famous pornography women. And I'm just you know I I texted you and I said Charlie you did amazing, and you know the love of Christ. And I want I have a question here that I want to ask you because you're a dad now. And what was it like? Paint a picture of yeah, kind because, of because so, some of so, these people don't know. So you didn't, you know, and I'd encourage you to listen to it. Don't watch it because the girls are on there are scantily Hoochie dressed. Um, whatever a hoochie mama is, they were on there. Y'all know what a hoochie and, mama is. You know, they, threw, they were lobbing questions at him. You know, it was awkward. You know, you could tell that there was a lot of tension in there. Uh, Charlie, you know, expressed the faith in Jesus Christ in an amazing way, especially when you were getting ready to leave and you talked about it because they were, you know, you talked about abortion, you talked about uh, trans, a lot of trans stuff. Um, but one of the things that, because I, I wanted to ask you about this, what was it like sitting there listening to that? And one of the girls, um, I think her name was Molly, you, she started talking about her lifestyle and you asked, you said, hey, listen, if I gave you a million dollars. You know, I think the girl, you said, if I could just wave a wand, you give you a million dollars, would you continue to do what you do? And she said, yes. And then you talked about her father issues, her daddy issues. And, and she said, I haven't talked to my dad in two or three years. And I was sitting there and I started to break down because I have two daughters. 
And I just thought, oh my gosh, this is the way our culture is moving. And I'm thinking as a pastor with, with them, these women, the way that they think, the way that these girls think. And I'm just curious, as you were sitting there listening to this, what was going through your head? Um, and then I want to talk about the trans issue a little bit. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, this is a very, very popular podcast uh, with younger people, especially the clips of it. Um, it is, it's an unusual format. It's typically six or seven uh, young ladies that are in the most active sexual enterprises online that you could be involved in. You said that's so tasteful. That was nice. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what they do is not tasteful. But uh, it, again, so I, I have no idea who is who. And I, there's a funny story that I've told before, and I'll tell again. That, so I, I knew going into this interview that two of the people were porn people. And they, they're actively involved, like not just involved, they're like award-winning. Did they just call you? Like how did this? Well, it, it, they've, the show producer is pretty neutral and he reached out okay. and, and Candace oh, He Owens seems conservative, on. the guy that was yeah, on the pretty, right of he's you. he's pretty decent. Yeah. And uh, he was really a fair broker. And so, because um, it's just the whole thing is, you know. So anyway, I, I show up and I know two of them are porn actresses, but I don't know who. And so I have to kind of play in my head, guess the porno person. Um, and anyway, long story short, I was totally wrong. Because um, the young lady next to me, Molly, who is by the outside a very innocent looking girl, is like the most involved in pornography. And I, I mean, I had no idea. And I was like blown away because she was like the most brazen and kind of honestly nasty. She was pushing. She kept pushing yeah, you. trying to provoke and push. But you could tell when you were talking to her, when she would push you, you could tell that there was something innocent still in her. Yeah, I mean, look. I could see it. I, I, and so what did I feel, Try. I felt sadness. I mean, out of all the, I think only one or two of the young ladies there actively did not have an OnlyFans account. If you don't know what OnlyFans is, it's this disturbing trend. You should all be very aware of this, by the way. It's young ladies in college are just opening OnlyFans accounts. Basically, it's a subscription-based model where you can sell naked pictures of yourself or revealing pictures of yourself. Um, and girls are making a ton of money doing it. I mean, they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Some are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. Um, there are, I don't know the amount of girls that are doing this, but I think it's in 250, 300,000. It's a ton. And I, I do believe uh, it is like digital prostitution is what it is. And it's demeaning to the individual and it's just sad and it's just um, heavy. Anyway, the point is this is a very popular podcast. I go there. It's kind of a firing squad type thing because it's one on seven people. And I, I, I just I, – I, le I left, first of all, with sadness for them and for the culture. But I also left knowing – more than ever that that if you don't believe in god or a spiritual war like you, you i'm telling you there is a spiritual war raging i mean it's so clear it's so real like i felt it like the heaviness that that lifestyle brings with it so many other literal demons i think um and yeah so I, if you want to watch or to listen to it i mean it's gone very very viral it's one of the most watched interviews you know what they've I had. thought was amazing I thought was amazing that here these these girls you know their lifestyle they're they're coming after you and you acknowledged a battle to them that you had fought as a male mm -hmm. that a lot of men have fought and you talked about there was a age or a time when yeah. pornography was a big thing to you 
and you were very vulnerable and very transparent. And I think it was at Molly that just came after you. Yeah. I mean, it was, but you saw, it was almost like the demonic spirit put itself out there because here you are honestly being vulnerable and sharing this and talking about, and you're, you can feel that you feel sorry for these people. And she came after you, but I can also tell you just from seeing some of that, that all of us could see their daddy issues. Every, every single girl and what it was sad for us is, you know, we've got three kids. Two of them are girls. And, you know, two of our children are married. But we still look at their Instagram accounts. And he's like, hey, you need to go, you need to go change your shirt. And I know you're married, but you're still my daughter. Go change your shirt before you leave the house. And it's like, Dad. Do you think it's the same lie as the transgender? Do you think that's that... That cultural demonic. demonic flow that you sense, that do you think that that is the same type of lie that these it's young seductive. people are feeling and saying, well, I need to now be a woman or I need yeah. to... You know, so that's, that's a good question. So I also walked away. I, I knew this going in, but it was confirmation. And this is also what's at the root of the trans thing, which is that I, me the most important thing on the, in the world. And that is at the root of a lot of the justification of sexual sin and also at the root of the trans agenda, which is that I'm the most important thing. There's no one that can tell me what it can do. There's no objective truth. There's no transcendent beauty. There's no duty. There's no virtue. There's no obligation, right? It's just me. And who are you to tell me that I can't do what I want to do when I want to do it? And that is such, a, that is such an attractive one-liner for a young person because it feels right. Yes, I am in charge of it. And that is at its core Luciferian. Yes. At its core demonic. It is from the pit of hell. First and foremost, we're made in the image of God, breathed life in from the divine. So we our life is on loan from the divine. And so it's not all about you, is that we have an obligation to something much bigger than us. And secondly, that how on earth are you ever going to understand love? And I did talk about love on the podcast, which was one of my favorite aspects that I, I would encourage you to watch this part. I asked them, what is love? I know that's funny. There's a song that says that. But I said, what, what is love? And they, they couldn't really give a definition, right? They were like, oh, uh, love is an emotional connection. Our love is really good uh, physical interaction. And it, it, again, we as Christians, we know that there's, you know, there's, the Greeks had tons of words for love. But, you know, the one that is, you know, the one that is very popular is phileo, brotherly love. You get this Philadelphia city brotherly love or a love that you have for a brother, storge, which is mother or father for a kid love, which is completely different than brotherly love. There's also eros, which is love you have for a romantic partner, uh, you know, very sexual love, but also it's deeper than that. It's like kind of a soul connection. But then there's agape, which is the ultimate form of love for God so agape the world, uh, which is self-sacrificial love that you would give your life for another. And like they've never heard this concept before. And of course they haven't because they've only been living for themselves. And that's a very empty existence. And if I had to, you know, summarize, why is it that, you know, Gen Z is the most suicidal, depressed, alcohol addicted generation history is because they're just living for themselves. They're not living for something above themselves. They're not living for something greater than themselves. And there is something greater than themselves. You're just a small part of this massive unfolding plan. Um, and the trans agenda is a weaponization of the me, 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 I, I, I belief system 
where it's that I, I can change my form based on an act of the will that I wasn't designed, I wasn't made, I wasn't, I, I, can, I can basically start afresh and start new. And if I feel a certain way, I can kind of go through the Build-A-Bear workshop and I can reconfigure myself. And by the way, what hubris and pride to think that, first of all, that you can redesign yourself. Secondly, no, you can't. Chopping off your your parts. Penis, you can say it. It's right. Freedom House. All right. Go ahead. Doesn't, just chopping it off doesn't change who you are. It just makes you a eunuch, okay? So it doesn't make you a woman. Yeah, it makes you a eunuch, right? So it's a completely different thing. We have a word for that. They're all throughout the scriptures. Okay. My dog's a eunuch. Your, your dog's a eunuch. That's great. So, and so, but I have very strong opinions on the trans thing. I think it's one of the most important things happening in the country. It's accelerating. It's not slowing down. Uh, it, we are getting, we're getting very close to a place that if you count lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, which I actually think they are connected, and I can tell you why. Some people say, oh, you know, they need to be separated. I actually think there's a reason why I can go, get into that. It's because they miss Get into it, because I was going to ask you if yeah. what the connection is. Yeah. And also, I want you to talk to, because, you know, what I'm noticing as uh, leading a church is I get a ton of questions from parents who are, number one, they're struggling with their kids, yeah. you know, starting to, to say, well, you know, you know, I think I might be a, a, a girl or I might be a guy. Or their kids have friends and they don't know what to do with them. Right. They don't know how to handle that conversation. So That's, talk about the connection and then... Yeah. Get attention. So I want to... The, the parent thing is... Super, I don't want to forget that. So I'm going to start there and then I'll get into the connection. So the parent thing, I encourage all of you to read. She's like one of my all-stars. Dr. Miriam Grossman, uh, Lost in Transnation. There's a specific chapter where she goes through, and by the way, she's actually a pediatrician, and she is a child psychiatrist. She's not one of these goofy people on TV that just writes about this stuff abstractly. She's actually treated and is treating children, okay? That is very, very hard to find. The first thing when you get into the trans issue is, am I reading from an expert that has ever clinically treated a child? And if the answer is no, burn whatever they wrote, okay? That, that's number one. Have they, have they ever in a way clinically treated a child? And most of them haven't. It's been all abstractions. It's been all books, all theories. They've actually never been in a, in a clinician role. So she has, she's a leading spokesperson on it. She has an entire chapter, and I'll give you one element that I think is really important, where she goes through, um, goes through dialogue of child-parent, child-parent, of what happens when they say, I'm no longer Joe, I'm now Susie. And like actually how to navigate that. And one of the takeaways that was jaw-dropping for me, and everyone needs to know this, okay, is based on all of her research and all of her data, she says that the first conversation is the most important conversation. And so this is why you have to know this, and you could screw it up as a parent. And so what she says in the book is that if Joe comes to you and says, I'm Susie all of a sudden, don't freak out. You could freak out after. You can go scream into a pillow. You can go yell at somebody. But you have to have a loving and long conversation immediately with your child. You can't be dismissive. Instead, you be curious. Now, this is so hard because you, like, all of a sudden have this bubbling up, like, vengeance. Like, who did this to you? I'm going to find them. You're not a girl. Stop it. Snap out of it. That reaction is justified. It, you can manifest that feeling in a much more effective way. Because if you screw it up, they'll immediately turn off to you and they'll go to somebody else and they'll be on hormone block blockers in six weeks, okay? So instead, you'd be really curious, like, oh, that's so interesting. Um, tell me about that. 
and you just are silent. And you allow the silence, like, oh, well, I really think I'm a girl. Where'd you first have that thought? Because that's new to me. Well, you know, uh, I was really lonely and I was flipping through uh, TikTok and I saw all of a sudden you'll start to get to the bottom of it. And you just, you, you become their thinking partner. But at the end of the conversation, you say, hey, I'm here for you, but here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to call you by a different name and I'm not going to call you by different pronouns, but I am going to be your thinking partner and I love you. And let's, let's have a conversation on this tomorrow. Okay. And the kid feels like they have a, they have a partner that they could still seek refuge in. And then they walk away, then you go scream in the pillow and you freak out. And that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Okay? That is incredibly important, everybody. Yep. Because here's how it usually happens. Incredibly combative and you're fighting with a 15-year-old who, by the way, most transitions in the teens are girl to men. A girl to boy. And by the way, you can't transition, but it's a girl butchering herself to think she's a boy. Which means you're dealing with a hyper-hormonal young lady who will only dig in and find a different figure, okay? The vast majority of those transitions are females. So if you have a young girl at home, they're at risk. I hate to just scare you, they're at risk, okay? The young boy thing is still a problem, but they actually manifest more after the age of 18, less so than under the age. There's, there's, the data is really remarkable. But the, the book that Dr. Miriam Grossman puts forward is you must understand that there are big lies embedded. And one of the worst things you can do is take your child to one of these gender butchering clinics that call themselves healthcare, okay? In a matter of hours, they will do some sort of peripheral diagnosis and they will give them testosterone replacement therapy, Lupron, hormone blockers, irreversible damage to them, and even suggest mastectomies or suggest um, breast removal. I mean, we're talking about some of the most aggressive surgical interventions. And this is not a little bit, this is happening we don't know actually how many kids are on this, but we know it's such a social contagion and phenomenon. So I could talk about that at length, but I, if that even touched one parent out there that you might get a conversation soon, then it was worth me going through all of that, okay? Um, yeah, so that, that's just good. to repeat, so the, first, the first conversation is long, is loving, and you're curious, okay? But you do not compromise the end of the conversation on pronouns or names, but it's long, it's loving, it's curious. Okay, so what, what is the connection between lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans? Because some people say, I don't understand how all these things fit. They're completely different. Yeah. On the surface level, that is technically true. But if you listen to the homosexual activists, they will say that being gay is my identity. It's who I am, and it can never change. The trans people say, being a boy is who I am, it's my identity, and it cannot change. The way that the homosexual activists used to talk about it in the 70s and 80s is that I have gay thoughts and feelings, and I act on them with gay behavior. That's completely different. It went from a movement that I have feelings and behavioral patterns and action to now it is who I am, it's in my DNA, it's in my fiber, it cannot change, and no matter what you do, it's, it's just as, it's like my skin color. And that, so therefore, as we've conceded the ground, as we call it, well, you are gay, instead we should say, again, I get a lot of hate mail for saying this, but it's true, instead you should say, well, you're struggling with same-sex attraction. That's a completely different thing. Right. Saying that you're struggling with same-sex attraction means that it's a behavior. And they'll say, well, it's just not fair. It's how I was born and I have to act on it. Now, we as Christians, we shouldn't give an inch on this. There's some people here that are struggling with alcoholism, you're struggling with gambling addiction, you're struggling with gossip, you're struggling with pride. We should not give an inch to some sort of sin and allow your sin to become your identity. Yeah. Where That's else how we is- get Max instead of yes. pedophiles. 
minor attraction person. Right. right? And, and just think about this. I mean, if, if think about how insane it would be if somebody came up to the line and said, hey, um, you know, just so you know, I'm a serial adulterer and I'm proud of it. We have the entire month of October dedicated to us. I cheat on my wife. I'm unfaithful. And if you want to see our flag, uh, here it is. How is that any different? And we've accepted it because it's a behavioral choice. Now, I don't wish for anybody. We must have sympathy because I can't imagine the torment of having to go through being attracted to the same sex. I, that would not, I don't wish that on somebody. I don't think of that lightly. But also, we shouldn't concede the ground that it's inextricably linked yeah. to your identity. So that's how they're tied together, Troy. That's really um, good. And so I, I get a lot of hate for that. But I, if you actually go back to the 80s and 90s, that's how that community used to even frame it. And yeah. that's why many of you probably, including myself, had a much more live and let live attitude towards this stuff because it used to be the old line is, well, you couldn't even tell that they were gay. They would go to their job and that they would, you know... We can now. Well, because it's their identity, Penny, because yeah. they're told that you must wear it as, like, you must be a mascot for your sexual choices. And it's not even enough of that. Like, we must recruit new people into our ranks... Because we can't reproduce, therefore we must recruit. Wow. That's, that's oh, they hate that one. Oh, when oh, I say yeah. that one, Which they is go, why there's... Because you're not born gay and all of a sudden you just have a lisp. Well, we, we don't... Or your so wrist I, I do want to be... <laughs> I mean, is that not the truth? We don't... So, so I, will, I will say this, and I'm willing to be agnostic on it. I do believe, and there's clinical data, that some people are born with feminine tendencies. We do not know whether or not you're born with a same-sex attraction. I am agnostic on that question. It is true, though, that the vast majority of people that suffer with same-sex attraction have some sort of trauma or some sort of an 100%. issue with a nuclear... That is 100% true, and that is supported by clinical data, right? That's and, why we must be born again. Well, of course, we all must be born new, and we must also, as Christians, not be too legalistic or preachy towards people that are suffering a same-sex attraction. And I can say, hey, you're struggling with same-sex attraction. I once struggled with pornography. So we both have sins. But I'm not going to own it and justify it. We're going to struggle together in Christ and be born new and That's to become awesome. transformed Fantastic. by the living and real God. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Email us, as always, freedom at charliekirk.com. Thanks so much for listening, and God bless. For more on many of these stories and news you can trust, go to charliekirk.com.